Amen. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 8. Let's set the stage for the preaching of the Word, the moment of truth. That's what we're here for, uh, to have our God speak to us, and our God speaks through His Word. And we've spoken to Him this morning, right? Uh, Through singing, lifting our voices to Him, praying, and now it's time to hear what God has to say to us. I want to talk to you about God's saving grace and an Ethiopian eunuch. There are few things in life more exhilarating and exciting than sharing our Savior with someone. And so Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40 is that kind of lesson for us, sharing Jesus with others. And here we're introduced to God's saving grace among the nations as Philip helps an Ethiopian eunuch understand the gospel. We're going to move from where a large multitude come to faith in Jesus Christ at the beginning of Acts, and then the Lord is going to help us place our attention on one lone soul in a deserted place, on a desert road. Isn't it interesting that we move from the masses to individuals? When the outpouring of the Spirit of God saves a massive group of people, that's a big deal. But it's also a big deal when God saves the one soul that's... um, Uh, in the remotest part, on a desert road, and I think that one single convert is what Luke the historian, led by the Holy Spirit, wants us to put our attention on. Remember, Simon made a profession of faith, uh, but the dude was a phony. And here there's kind of a contrast. The masses are saved, Simon is a counterfeit, and then we see the real deal with Philip leading the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Every soul counts to God. Amen. We see that in this passage, beginning in verse 28 of our chapter. By the way, we're proceeding rapidly through Acts, right? <laughs> we'll get there. We're going to take a break at the end of November and with Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we'll come back in January. I don't know where we're going to be at that point, but we're moving right along. And as you get into the chapters moving along, there'll be times when we'll preach a whole chapter because the chapter has one theme. And some of you are excited about that, right? That we'll move through. But, hey, I'm going to be here a long time, right? So I'm going to preach to you the Word, no matter how long it takes. We're going to preach through it. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Remember I taught you about Old Testament, play that tune, or name that tune? Well, just because you have 
Isaiah 53, 7b and 8a doesn't mean that it didn't come to the forefront of Philip's mind that he's giving the entire Isaiah 53 servant song. That's what's in Philip's mind as he hears him. Now the passage is, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea Philippi. Now Peter and John make their way back to Jerusalem. That's where the apostles were. But here is Philip listening to the leadership of the Holy Spirit to go down south toward Gaza. Does anybody know anything about Gaza? You probably say, well, I don't. Well, it's one of the five ancient cities of the Philistines. What do you know about Israel's dealings with the Philistines? You remember Samson with the jawbone of a donkey? Do you remember how that it was the Philistines that did battle with the Israelites over and over and over again? So even at this point in time, Philista or Gaza would have been considered enemy territory. And not only did he send him into enemy territory, but he sends him down into a... He did so by way of a deserted road. We all know from history, even the parable of the Good Samaritan, that a desert, deserted road is not necessarily a good thing, right? We know from that story, so people could easily prey on people traveling. But here's what's so stunning and sudden, is the fact that Philip just obeys. Now, if Philip would have had the preacher coming out of him, he probably would have said something like this. Well, there's a revival in Samaria. People are being saved by the scores. But yet, God, you're going to tell me to go down on a deserted road to, to enemy hostile territory where there's lizards and spiders and scorpions of things I don't like, right? You're going to send me down this deserted road, and yet the revival is taking place in Samaria. Yes, because God's plans are not always our plans, right? God had a plan for Philip. And so maybe he would ask the question, why in the world would you send me to ancient Philistine country or a city of, uh, of the Philistines. But as a servant of the Lord, Philip does what he is told. If you fast forward to Acts chapter 21 verse 8, when Paul is speaking about Philip, he calls Philip the evangelist. He's going to live up to his name, isn't he? Well, he's already lived up to it. That's why Paul calls him Philip the evangelist. Now, I believe evangelism can be a gift there is a gift of evangelism. And I, I think Philip had it. 
But that doesn't alleviate the fact that you, are, you have an obligation to share Jesus, right? It's all of our obligation, but here Philip has this call of God upon his life, and I think he was gifted with evangelism. Well, the eunuch is from where? We introduced to him. Where's he from? He's from Ethiopia. Ethiopia would be ancient Cush, C-U-S-H. So ancient Cush would have been much, much larger than what you think of Ethiopia today. It would, included, it would have included this massive section of northern Africa and the Sudan. So not only do we learn that he's from a, a huge area, but also that he has a particular position. He is a, an official under Candace. Candace would have been a dynastic hereditary title for the queen mother of Ethiopia. Now, that would have been very similar to Pharaoh as king of Egypt or over Egypt. Similar terms, but there wasn't a king over Ethiopia, but there was a queen and her name, or the subtitle, or really her name could have been anything, but she was called Candace because that was her position. So this eunuch was in charge of her treasury. In other words, here's a high-ranking official that we're dealing with, something like our present-day minister of finance. So here is a high-ranking official. In many circles, a eunuch was placed in this kind of position, uh, high-ranking because he was deemed more worthy, more trustworthy than a non-eunuchized man. Right? That's why he's in the situation, in the position that he is in. Bible says that he's come to Jerusalem to worship. That's interesting, isn't it? An Ethiopian coming to Mount Zion to worship the Lord. How many of you think this is a fulfillment of prophecy? I asked you a loaded question, didn't I? Because it is. Isaiah chapter 18, verse 7. If you don't have time to flip there, because I'm fast, remember, I've got it marked. At, uh, Isaiah 18, 7. At that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts. Check this out. From a people tall and smooth, from a people feared near and far, a nation mighty and conquering whose land the rivers divide. Ancient Cush. To the Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says there's going to come a day when people are going to come streaming to Jerusalem to offer homage and worship to the Lord. Remember, Isaiah writes this 750 years before Philip evangelizes this Ethiopian eunuch. And he goes to Jerusalem as a stranger outside of the lineage and commonwealth of Israel. He's a, he's a stranger and an alien to physical Mount Zion, but he's going to leave. And he's not going to be a stranger to spiritual Mount Zion. He's coming up to Jerusalem. He would have twice been excluded from the covenant. He would have been excluded because he's a Gentile. He cannot enter the holy place. He must stay outside in the court of the Gentiles. But he's also a eunuch. Let me remind you about that. Chapter 23 of the book of Deuteronomy. Verse 1. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Can you imagine 
this man's thought processes as he is going up to Jerusalem to worship the king. He's not a believer, but God is pulling him toward himself. The grace of God was pursuing this man, and he, he goes up to Jerusalem, but he's twice excluded from the covenant. He's a Gentile, and he's a eunuch. However, as an Ethiopian eunuch, he was not without hope. The law cut him off twofold, but the gospel of Jesus Christ gave him a twofold hope, right? Uh, Psalm 68, if you're tracking with me, uh, you can find the book of Psalms, right, by just splitting your Bible down the middle. For some of you who are struggling with that, Psalm 68, verse 31, the Bible says, Noble shall come from Egypt, Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Psalm 87, 3 through 4. Even the sparrow finds a home. Let me see where I'm at. No, 87. That's not a good verse for that. Chapter, Psalm 87, 3 through 4. Glorious things are you. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philista and Tyre with Cush. And Isaiah... Chapter 11, for those who are, some of you are listening, I know, some of you are turning, but listen to chapter 11, 10 through 11. In the day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Who are we talking about? Root of Jesse? Yeah. In that day the Lord will extend His hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of His people. From Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlines, coastlands of the sea. And then one final text, Isaiah 56, 3-5. through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. So as the story continues, we see the providential hand of God at work. And you say, why did you give all those Old Testament references? Again, in many cases, you can't translate the new apart from the old. You have to track what the Bible says and let it be its commentary. So this is monumental. Remember Acts 1.8. Remember that text? It chronologically fits and outlines the book of Acts for us. So the gospel is progressing. The universal gospel of Jesus Christ is becoming universal in its application. And so it's moving out of Jerusalem, and it's moved out onto a desert road, and it's in direct fulfillment. This is not willy-nilly. This is not something by happenstance. This is God orchestrating the whole scenario so that this eunuch can come to know Jesus and fulfill prophecy. So that's what the text is talking about. The eunuch is returning from his trip. He's sitting in his chariot. And boy, here's a preacher's dream. 
a man sitting there reading the Word and not understanding what's going on. And in ancient times, almost everyone read out loud. Did y'all know that? Even even Augustine in the 300s marveled because Ambrose had an ability to read silently. That's interesting, isn't it? But everybody read out loud. He was in a large ox cart that served as a carriage. Uh, With his position and prestige and power, it was probably a pretty fancy cart, wouldn't you say? Perhaps uh, he entered Jerusalem according to what we found in the Old Testament. He did. He was seeking the true God. He saw himself excluded. Wanted to learn more about the Lord, the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel. Maybe he chose this deserted road because he wanted uninterrupted time so that he could read. Possibly he went by Lifeway outside of the temple and picked up an Isaiah scroll. You reckon? No, that didn't happen. But he gets a scroll. Perhaps that's part of what he heard read that day. I mean, it's conjecture. But the fact is, he's reading aloud. And the Lord speaks to Philip. Tells him to go up and join the chariot. Now think about this. The chariot's probably proceeding along at a walking pace. And Philip runs up, joins this caravan. What an awesome example of a divine appointment. Isn't it? God Almighty is orchestrating the entire event. Remember, I've told you over and over again, you're never the first touch of the gospel in someone's life. The Holy, Spirit of all, the Holy Spirit of God always goes before you. The Holy Spirit of God is always at work, and God is orchestrating. And Philip approaches the card. He's reading aloud Isaiah 53. Again, it's a divine appointment. What do you understand what you are reading aloud? And check out the answer he gives. How can I know this unless someone tells me? Do you think the Lord's at work in his life? Do you think God's at work through his word? His hunger for God is so deep and it's manifested in this passage with deep humility. Remember, you you think he recognized that Philip was not an Ethiopian? I bet he did. I bet he recognized that he wasn't smooth and real dark skinned. He was a Jew, right? Philip was, and so... He welcomes him up onto his chariot. The section that he's reading again is a section of Isaiah 53, which is a suffering servant. It begins in Isaiah 52, 13, proceeds all the way through chapter 53, and that's what he's reading. When you read it in the Greek here, when you read it in English, uh, the New Testament's written in Greek, right? But what you're reading is a direct translation from the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. You would see it in LXX. That reminds you that that's from the Septuagint. That's interesting because, again, it's written in Greek. Uh, Koine Greek is the language of the day. And that's what it is translated into. Uh, But it's shorthand of a larger context. And again, where's the theme of this? A sacrifice has been made. A lamb has been slain. If you get time, we're not going to go over to Isaiah 53... But substitutionary death is in view here. A ransom has been paid. A death has taken place. And that's what he's focusing upon. It's the submission of the Son of God to death. In all likelihood, again, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch could have been reading through the entire servant passage. But when he... (laughs) Isn't that awesome? But when Philip approaches him, he's reading this part of it. 
sacrifice of Christ. Submission unto death. And then in verse 34, he asked this great exegetical question. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? Well, that's great for Bible interpretation, isn't it? It's an exegetical question. Uh, you should always ask those kinds of questions when you're reading the Word. Who is this about? Is it about Isaiah himself or is it about Christ? And again, basic Bible interpretation question. Is this Isaiah's own affliction? On the basis of the question, <laughs> don't you love this? The evangelist opened his mouth. And the, the strength of the language is uh, upon the act of him opening his mouth that there's something profound and great and life-changing that's going to come out of his mouth. Now, I know it, you don't see that when you're just bumping through it, but that's what the strength of the language is. Something's about to come out of his mouth that's life-transforming. And as important as it is to live a life reflective of the gospel, you haven't witnessed until you open your mouth. Now, in our day, we want to be real quiet about that. We just go about our daily business, and we're like, well, I'm going to let my light so shine, but they're going to have to see it without me opening my mouth. Right? And I, I'm sure that your uprightness and your integrity uh, can serve and does serve as a mantle of credibility. But it's only a mantle of credibility to ultimately what comes out of your mouth. And so it wasn't enough for him just to jump up on the chariot and ride along as an upright man with a mantle of credibility because he's a good dude. Philip had to open his mouth. Your commitment to living the life needs to be interpreted by the world around you. you got to interpret to the world why you live the way you live. What's your hope? You know, Mormons belong to a certain cult. And they have credibility in many ways. But when they open their mouth, it's not the gospel. They look good, right? They say the right things, they're good moral people, but they're lost. They're lost. So, your life, your mouth, what you say, let your life serve as a mantle of credibility and then open up your mouth and tell them why. Tell them why. Don't you absolutely love this expression? Beginning with the passage, he's in, he preached Jesus to him. Right? Beginning right where he is. He begins, what, what words? He preached Jesus. Hey, Jesus is the theme. Amen? Amen. Griffith Thomas wrote a little book one time called Christianity is Christ. Isn't that so true? Boy, there's a lot of folks out in this world claiming Christianity today. But it excludes Christ. It does. So here is Philip preaching Jesus. Give them Jesus. Whoosh, pulls the sword from the sheath. The Word of God. See, the Spirit of God is at work, but you can't be saved apart from the Word of God. Y'all listening? You can't be saved apart from the Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. So he pulls the, uh, he pulls the sword out of the sheath. And so here's the Spirit of God working together with the Word of God in this man's life. To say that he preached Jesus beginning with this text is shorthand for the fact that he explains the gospel. Right? And I wish we had it all of what Philip preached. But that's shorthand for saying that he took that particular passage among other passages and he preached to him the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for the Ethiopian to turn around and say, look, here's water, he most definitely understood a full presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, Jesus came to earth, fulfilled this passage, Isaiah 53, right? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. But God raised him up from the dead. And I'm sure Philip said, we're eyewitnesses. Because how many times did Jesus say, you are my witnesses? And we need to repent and trust Jesus only for salvation. Isn't it good? We fall short of that, don't we, sometimes? We have a good religious conversation around the table, but we don't bring them to Jesus. You haven't done evangelism or witness until you talk about what are you going to do with Jesus. Just a little coffee around the, uh, a coffee station talking about religious ideas won't cut it. You got the answer living in you, folks. Amen? Amen. We do. And unless it comes over to Christ Jesus died for our sins, we need to turn to Him and repent and believe. We need to repent and trust Jesus only for salvation. And we do so through a sign that we publicly confess Him through water baptism. This is exactly what Peter says in Acts 2.38. He's preaching the gospel with a necessary response he's waiting on. There's nothing wrong with that, folks. I mean, we're living in a day where... We want to say, it's okay for you to believe what you want to believe, and we're going to let you be wrong, and it's going to be okay. Folks, we can't, we can't accept their wrong as right for them. Because we have the only right thing to tell them. It's about the gospel. And, you know, don't you just feel watching TV that this, our society is just, you know, there's so much tension. You got the NFL against Trump. You got NBA players against Trump. You got, you got, People not standing for the flag. you got people getting ticked off because you're not standing for the flag. And a lot of these things, you know, if you're an American, especially if you grew up in the South. I don't know who did that, but somebody here did. You grow up, wait, I mean, you're like, what? You're not going to stand up for the flag? But let me tell you, folks, the answer is the gospel. Don't get this attitude that you're going to be hateful toward people. And when somebody doesn't stand for the flag, look, folks, the gospel is the answer. Period. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. Well, even Martin Luther King Jr. knew this. Total depravity of mankind is the reason we have the problems we have in our country. The reason there's racism, the reason there's all kind of... Folks, it all comes down to human depravity. And only Jesus Christ can solve that. Oh, we can shake hands across any kind of lines when we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That's the big issue. That's the big issue going on. So... That's, I'm chasing a rabbit, I realize that. But don't be afraid in this kind of inclusivistic society when everybody has to tolerate everybody else. Don't be afraid to say to them, you got to believe on Jesus Christ and you must be saved. No matter who it is. Verse 30, that's true for the president. That's true for the pope. Right? Doesn't matter who it is. If they don't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will not be saved. And verse 36 says, they came to some water. It had to be up to his waist, folks. I mean, come on, there's no sprinkling going on here. I think the implication is there's enough water and enough water to go down into and be baptized. It wasn't, there wasn't so little in there it could have drowned at a tadpole. Now, that's not what's going on here. Well, we have to rejoice with this, right? I mean, here's a guy totally removed from Jerusalem. No temple, way down there in a deserted place, enemies of Israel, 
And Jesus Christ saves him, and he's willing to take that New Testament sign of knowing Christ, a sign of that which was believer's baptism. Here he's willing to, immediately. After they believe in Acts chapter 10, which we'll get to, uh, they say, well, what prevents us from water? What prevents us from being baptized? They have received the Holy Spirit just like we did. Now, Philip doesn't delay at this point. I mean, he's already been fooled by Simon, right? Y'all listening? Right? He's already been fooled by Simon. He's a phony, right? The turkey was a phony. Well, maybe he would say with this one, let's wait six months and make sure that this Ethiopian eunuch is not a phony like Simon. But the text doesn't say that. The text says he was baptized immediately. There are no verses in the Scripture that tell us to wait. Now, in our day, we want to say, you know what? When you got a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old kid, you, you kind of want to watch them a little while. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but there's also nothing wrong. I, look, Philip was giving the message led by the Holy Spirit, and I'm pretty sure Philip thought this was very legit, right? That this man was saved by grace through faith. Now, here's an interesting side note for some of you textual critics. Verse 36, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? In my translation, I jump from 36 to 38. In my translation, there is no verse 37. And if you got it, some of you may be it bracketed off in italics. Well, in the New King James Version and the King James Version, the verse is there. Verse 37 is supplied, and it says this, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. So, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means that in the oldest manuscripts we have, verse 37 is not in there. And the natural uh, response to that is, when scribes were going through the text and manuscript and bringing it over to what you have here, the church had it so embedded in their hearts and minds that you believed on Christ first with all your heart, and then you followed in believers' baptism. So the scribe has a little bit of early church bias as he's writing. This is not wrong, it's dead on. But the reason it's in there for so long is because the early church, as long as, as far back as 60, 50, well, probably 45 A.D., they were believing that you trusted Jesus only for salvation, and then you followed in believers' baptism. Hey, that's a good point, isn't it? There was a reason for my madness, okay? The verse is reflective of the church's belief about salvation. It's the conviction of the church, early church, that the confession of faith must precede baptism. So Philip baptized him. The word baptizo is a transliteration. It is the word dunk or immerse into water. And this man, who was an outcast, twice excluded, becomes a member of full-fledged Israel of God, which is not by your nationality or your ethnicity, but it's because of Jesus' blood and righteousness that you become a member of the true Israel of God. So it is reaching out to those who were cut off. Have you ever read Ephesians 2? That's me and you. We were cut off from the life of God. By faith in Jesus Christ alone, this, uh, the half-breed Samaritans were brought in, and then a full-fledged, in their mind, pagan Ethiopian eunuch has come to know Jesus. Then the Bible says that Philip is snatched away, this does not necessitate a Star Trek narrative. Right? Does the Holy Spirit beam up Philip and dissolve his molecular structure? 
and he goes off somewhere. Is this a supersonic ride with supersonic velocity? Well, we never need to read out a miracle from the Scripture when it's there. Neither do you need to read in one there. It could have easily been that Peter went on, uh, Philip went on his way. And the Ethiopian eunuch did not see him anymore. But immediately, God sends Philip to his next assignment. And the eunuch is not bothered at all by this, is he? The text indicates that he's rejoicing in the salvation that he has in Jesus Christ. Remember, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit of God. He was living in a dynamic relationship. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, actually says that this Ethiopian eunuch goes back to his people and becomes an effective evangelist and missionary to his own people. Wow, I don't know if that's true. But that's uh, history, extra-biblical history given to us by an early church father. But Philip continues to do what God calls him to do. Remember where this started? Acts chapter 6, Philip is a deacon. But he's an evangelist for Christ. Winning people to Jesus. Now, real quickly, application. You ready for it? You must display Christ-like love for the nations as the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes universal in application. Folks, this is happening through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the message of the gospel is changing lives. And this is what our church family needs to hear from this. Not just to objectively see it in the text and say, well, that was neat. you got to do something with it. Good preaching says what is in the text. And then it says, so what? You've seen the what. Now, what's the so what? Well, the so what is you got to display Christ-like love for the nations. As the gospel of Jesus Christ is becoming universal, chapter 8 begins with mass evangelism, and it ends with one-on-one evangelism. That's important, folks. It's mass evangelism that leads to uh, not only the harvest of many souls coming to the Lord, but at this particular juncture in Acts 8, it's one soul coming to the Lord one at a time, which you always come that way, but it's interesting that the text of Scripture does it. Now, in case you missed this, this guy was an African. Right? In the first five centuries of Christian church history, northern Africa was robust and zealous for Christianity. Sounds like our country early on. We need to pray that northern Africa, Sudan, will be robust for the gospel again. Right? The eunuch was not saved in Jerusalem. He was not saved in a temple. He was saved out in the middle of nowhere. We worship him, folks, in spirit And in truth, the gospel can reach anyone, anywhere, anytime, wherever they are. Wherever God is, that's where the temple is, and there you will have true worshipers. And when someone comes to Christ, they're going to come to Christ with a soul winner that's been sensitive to the touch of Jesus in someone else's life. So we are to to display Christ-centered love for others. Why? Because God's going to use a soul winner. It's going to be a preacher preaching the gospel, or it's going to be somebody preaching the word of truth. And think about it. How did you come to Christ? Well, I'm sure we could have pop-up testimonies all over this. If we were going to do Mike Morning at FBCO, there'd be all kinds of testimonies about the fact that a soul winner came to you, led by God, because of the Holy Spirit working in you, and shared the gospel with you. Philip's heart is wide open to all kinds of people. And we need to be that way. Amen? No matter what the color, the race, or the nationality, ethnocent, doesn't matter. We need to be sensitive to that. In Acts 6, we see Philip caring for widows. That's how we started. Waiting on tables. 
Taking care of widows. In chapter 8, we see his Christ-like love displayed in action as he goes to those half-breed Samaritans that Jews thought were impure heretics. And he's taking the gospel there. And now he brings it to an Ethiopian eunuch. What makes a good missionary, folks? Loving people and going beyond any kind of barriers. Loving people and going beyond any kind of barriers. How can we grow to love others? you got to remember what your condition was before you were saved. You were absolutely unlovable, and not a single one of us in this building deserved Jesus' salvation. Just because you were in good shape, living in Ozark, Missouri, doesn't make you a candidate for the gospel. What does is the fact that you're lost. That makes you a candidate for the gospel. The fact of the matter is that Jesus loved you when you were unlovable. You didn't deserve the salvation that you have. If you stop and contemplate how good God has been to you in reaching out with His grace when He didn't have to, then you'll be a person that reaches out to others. We are called to love the least, the last, and the lost, and you're even called to love your enemies. That's what the Bible says. Ponder the cross for a little while. And I think you'll respond with Christ-like love for others. And finally, need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and ready to speak for Jesus. Display Christ-centered love for the nations. That's it's becoming universal. Again, I've reminded you folks, God's going to do this whether you help Him or not. He's going to do this. But isn't it great when there's a soul winner that's committed to Jesus that will listen to Him, be led by His Spirit, and hit these divine appointments? You know, it's through obedience that you see the track that God is putting you on to put you in these situations to open your mouth and speak the gospel. Not only do you have to display this, but you need that sensitivity to the Spirit of God and be willing to speak for Jesus. The Spirit of God is arranging divine appointments every single day in your life. Uh, The fact is, we would like to have them written in pencil. And we'd also like to have the right to erase them if we don't like it. Right? But God is leading you. God help us to be more like Philip. He was ready and he obeyed. He was willing. Now I said there has to be a soul winner when someone comes to Christ. But you know there also has to be a sinner. You can't be saved unless you know you're lost. And here's this guy. He's got prestige. He's got power. He's got position. But he's a sinner like everybody else. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He needed a Savior. Why? Because he needed his sins forgiven. So when a soul comes to Christ, there'll be a soul winner and a sinner, but there'll also be the Spirit of God active in regeneration. The Spirit of God woos the heart, brings them to God, regenerates the Spirit, works inside of them. And we need to be considerate to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to obey the direction He's leading us to and what we see going on in someone else's life. There'll not only be a soul winner and a sinner and the Spirit of God, but there'll be the Scriptures. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing By the Word. Our Scripture promised that Jesus Christ was coming. All the way from Genesis 3.15. It promised that Jesus Christ was coming. Folks, you need to know your Bible. Now, we know everything else, don't we? Some of you can give me all the stats from your favorite football team, whether they won or lost yesterday. Right? But that's not going to change anybody. But we need to learn what the Bible says. You need to know the biblical story of the Bible that culminates in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So there's the Scriptures. There's also the Savior. you got to point them to Jesus. He's the one that made the sacrifice for our sin. He was the infinite, absolute, final substitute for our sin that appeased the wrath of God and turned His wrath away from us and gave you your justification. That's Jesus Christ and Him alone. Then there must be submission. Right? 
The sinner's got to bow the knee. The sinner's got to bow the heart. We need to ask for the response. Repent, turn to Christ, and be saved. Follow Him and be baptized. And the eunuch did this. You need to be prepared spiritually, theologically, to allow God to work in your heart and do what God would have you to do. There's a reason why he uses Isaiah 53, of course, and that's because it describes the crucifixion and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the heart of Jesus' mission, when you share, is is Christ's substitutionary work on behalf of sinners. That's what we're sharing. He died for our sins, according to the Scripture. I think Philip knew the star of the Scriptures, right? And it's Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God who has borne our sins in His body on the tree. He's the one, the Bible says in Revelation 5, whom the redeemed from all nations cry, Worthy is the Lamb. The Ethiopian welcomed, was welcomed by the Messiah. Here's the challenge that I'm going to leave with you. Try to identify unbelievers in your normal network where you're, you're going about. All of you. You got your going about in familial life, right? Y'all go home to your family, right? Vocational life, that's where you work. Geographical, where you live. Commercial, recreational. We all have our networks, don't we? We come in contact with people. Well, pastor, how can I stay in touch with the Spirit of God? Well, you do that by meeting with Jesus, right? But not only that, but how can I stay in touch with Him and listen to His promptings? Well, let me just give you five things our church can do. Are you ready for it? We could pray for those that God has put in our circle of influence. That's a great place to start, right? Once you've identified those people, you know they're lost. We can pray for them. Second, we can invite them to church. Take another little step, right? Invite them to church. Third, we could serve them in some kind of meaningful way. Now, some of you are saying, preacher, that's too much. You've gone from preaching to meddling, right? Well, fourthly, we could give them God-centered literature. Just give it to them. And then fifth, if you're really bold, we could speak the gospel to them. I've given you at least five things you can do for the lost people around you. Don't you want them to have the joy in God that you have in Him? Right? Here's five things that we can do. And this is what we're wanting to be. We want it to be evangelistically intentional. Intentionality when it comes to evangelism. It won't happen by osmosis. We've got to be intentional. God help us at FBCO to be fully surrendered to Christ. To be relationally invested in people. And then to be missionally focused. If we're that kind of church, folks, Satan's not going to like it. We're going to be a church that threatens the enemy. When we're fully surrendered to Christ, relationally invested, and missionally focused, watch out, Ozark, Missouri. Watch out, Missouri. Watch out, ends of the earth. Right? It appears to me that you are in the shoes of one or two of the characters in this narrative. You're either one that's giving out the gospel, or you're here today and you're in need of the gospel. You only got two. Saved and lost. Maybe you can identify with this Ethiopian eunuch and you think that you're excluded because of the sins that you've committed in your life. Let me tell you, God can save anybody, anywhere, anytime, out of any life situation. I can tell you this, you're in worse shape than you really think you are. Before a holy and righteous God, you're in worse shape. 
But here's the great news about that. The Lord Jesus is in the business of saving sinners. The worst, the vilest of sinners. He will save. Would you come to Jesus today? Father, thank you for your word. and God, I, I just praise you for our church family and attentiveness and listening. God, help us to be fully surrendered as your people. Relationally invested in the lives of people. God, missionally focused. That's my prayer looking at this text today. God, help us. We can't be Philip. We can't be Peter or Paul. But we can be who you made us to be. Saved us for a purpose. Not only to be united with you, uh, to have our sins forgiven, but to serve on this earth in the way you've called us to serve. To take Christ to the nations. And God, help us. Start where we are. To open our mouths. And let that be uh, a model of the mantle of credibility that we have. Why we believe what we believe and who it is that made a difference in our lives. Lord, help us. And for lost people today, Lord, under the sound of my voice, if you can save an Ethiopian eunuch, you can save them. Lord, you can save anyone. And Lord, I pray that they would repent and turn to you and trust your work on Calvary for them. Substitutionary atonement, dying in our stead and on our behalf so that we might be saved. Taking our place, the death that we deserve, you took. Bearing our penalty and our punishment. You bore our sins in your body on the tree. Lord, thank you for that. May they turn and trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.